And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Frazier and Dieter's Business Speed. I'm John Ray alongside Frazier and Dieter managing partner, Roger Lesby. Roger. Good morning, John. How are you? I'm great. How are you this morning? I am doing well. I'm, yeah. And uh, you've got a colleague here. I've Courtney got, Michaud. Uh, I've got my tax principal here, Courtney. Yeah. Welcome. Good morning. Yeah. How are you doing, Courtney? I'm doing fabulous. How's Thank tax you. season this year? It's getting rolling, so we're uh, we're digging in right now. Yeah, you're digging in for the last uh, uh, hurrah of of of, of twenty twenty three tax that's, season, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, good luck on all that. Well, thank you. Thanks we're for, hoping to end it with a bang. Yeah, there you go. Thanks for being here. Um, well, uh, Roger, you've got a great guest here, Chad Hagen. Chad is with Hagen Capital. Chad, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Let's give everyone an introduction to Hagen Capital. How are you serving the market out there? Yeah, so I founded Hagen Capital about 20 years ago. It originally was focused on, you know, as our family office. And then over the, over the past three years, we've transitioned to a financial services firm. So we focus on mergers and acquisition, and then we have some investment funds and advisory. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Terrific. Um You've actually written the book on family offices. I'm gonna, let's get to that. Um I did. 2021, it was published by Paul Grave, Global Family Office Investing. So it was mm-hmm. a fun experience. Yeah. And that, and that took you a while, too, didn't it? Took it took a while. Yeah. It's, it took a while. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul Grave is a, you know, a really esteemed publisher, so it was a lot of back and forth with the manuscript. Um, great learning experience. It was, sometimes when you write a book, people will say, you'll meet other people who've written books, and, and they'll say, well, that's the only one I'll ever do. Um, but that wasn't my case. I really got into it and have a few other books. Oh, did you? Okay. So why of all the, I mean, folks, you're going to hear Chad's talents here shortly. You, you could written a a lot of different books, given your talents and experience and background. Why this one? Um, you know, Paul Graves, a major publisher. And so when, when I, when we were pitching it to them, um, it just seemed like this book made the most sense for, for me to kind of break out as an author. It was, it's what I had the most exposure with in the last mm-hmm. kind of five years. And it was around 2015 we had a large takeover attempt that, that received a lot of international press. And so Paul Grave wanted that story in the book. Mm. So we, we built it, I built it around that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Kind of terrific. So you, you have a variety of investment interest in your family office and in your M&A practice. Talk about what some of those are. I know one of them is energy. Yeah. Energy is a big one. I'm, you know, the only, we, we do almost every industry with the exception of, of restaurants, healthcare, and there's one other, and I've, I've just forgotten it. But for the most part, we're industry agnostic tech, technology, healthcare, and hospitality. We're, we're no longer focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, we're industry agnostic. Okay. Um, why energy? Well, energy energy cyclical. So, it, it, you know, usually energy firms need groups like us to help kind of work out some kinks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, at this point, energy is very compelling. It's very it's very very interesting. We all use energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, America is a massive country, so uh, there's no easy fix to how we're going to go forward with energy and our energy policy. Yeah, you've got some interesting thoughts about that. We were talking about before we came on the air. In terms of, well, let's start with the term environmentalism. That means a lot of people get their hackles up when they hear that term. For you, it means something a little different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
fortunately, I, I've grown up around the natural environment my whole life. You know, I, I spent summers in Florida, and I was with my mother, um, kind of watching sea turtles and, and stuff like that, watching sea turtles hatch and moving nests with the uh, some of the park rangers down there. And so uh, when I was in high school, I did a Knowles course, and I ended up finishing high school out west, so it turned into about an 11-month ordeal. And um, then I did mountaineering throughout college, so I was really involved in exploration in the natural world. And, and after a while, um, I realized that it would be better suited as, as environmentalism and philanthropy around that. So a number of years ago through our family foundation, we put together something called HFF nature trust, which uh, I run. And that focuses on rewilding and other sorts of concepts. Right now we have a project called bioacoustics. So we record nature in certain Mm. areas and then we, we have a computer program. It's through Cornell's, I uh, forgot the name, but it's like a bird-specific laboratory. Mm. Um, and so we're doing that right now at Kingston Downs in Rome, Georgia, with the Bucard family. Mm. And that's our first program, but we'll roll out to other locations. We might, we might go to Scotland, hopefully. Um, we're working with the city of Roswell about doing it in their parks as well. Right. Um, and so that's, that's called citizen science. So basically, you, you record the animals that are in these areas and then you run it through a software program which identifies the birds and or other animals and and then from that you can see what species are in the area oh that's cool it's pretty interesting that's and that's where i would think ai plays into um really helping out the the diagnostics of all that oh absolutely absolutely it's probably impossible to uh to just from a human perspective listen to these sounds and be like okay well that's that sure so ai really helps for that yeah very cool. And then re- rewilding, we've been focused on that for a number of years. We were an early supporter of the Beaver Trust in the United Kingdom. The Beaver Trust ended up making a really big ripple effect for beaver reintroduction in Europe. And we've kind of used some of that for, for to, to push policy on beaver reintroduction in the U.S. state by state. Now, so, so this is obviously somebody who cares deeply about the environment. Right. And- incurring and spending money to support the environment. Yeah, in, in a real um, tangible, uh, uh, ground, r- ground roots kind of way, right? I yeah, mean, like we roll yeah. our sleeves up and, yeah. and, 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 you know, kind of figure things out. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I dare say when I, for most of our listeners, when I mentioned environmentalism, that was not where, that's not what they were expecting to hear, right? right. Which is the whole point really kind of where you're coming from on this subject, right? No, absolutely. So when I was doing mountaineering, you know, which is about climbing mountains and it's a little dangerous, I was going all over the world. I went to a lot of different continents and you would, I would see the same thing over and over again, which was once you got to base camp, there was a tremendous amount of trash. Mm-hmm. And because base camp was high up, 12,000, 15,000 feet, no one was cleaning it up. Mm-hmm. So if you look at Everest, which I haven't gone to Everest, but if you if you look at base camp at Everest, like it is without a doubt a trash heap. Mm. So after a while, I, I I started asking myself like, what's the point of this? And my father in law was was always reviewing my insurance policies as well, and um, I just had to to kind of look at what I was doing and, and and I questioned what the point was because it was just some sort of exploration, but I wasn't adding to the environment so. Um, seeing the degradation of the environment because of tourism and things like that, we, I got more and more focused on the concept of, of protecting nature and conserving nature. So what is, 
what do you say to those that hear what you're saying at a very surface level and, and think, how can you invest your money in that way? Right. I mean, what, what's the return on reintroducing beavers and recording birds? So I'm glad you asked that because we're, we've been putting together a fund that's focused on nature conservation. And we're, we're using some templates from some friends over in Europe, but we're, we're trying to return about four to six percent a year. So like kind of fall into that typical real estate return category. Mm-hmm. So you would, in, in this situation, we're looking at water mitigation. Uh, which is obviously in an area like Atlanta, which has received a lot of economic growth and, and a big population swell. That's an important project and an important metric to, to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that we're focused on from an environmental perspective, which includes investing. Mm-hmm. Um, Trees. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, what we're doing with water mitigation and habitat restoration is, is, is taking a field and turning it, you know, for, for, just for as an example, turning it into a stream or wetlands and then bringing native species, native plants and, and trying to reintroduce native, um, you know, native flora and fauna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Let's talk about clean energy, so-called clean energy, right? Clean energy isn't necessarily clean. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> imagine, I'm shocked, imagine, shocked to hear you yeah. say that. So you can't necessarily take everything for face value in clean energy. Yeah. Uh, clean energy, without a doubt, is a new technology. So uh, as you're seeing, that the government has really backed clean technology. I don't know any other country that's as deep as America is. And so that's created this big uh, superficial demand, I'd say. You've got a lot of solar being rolled out, a lot of wind farms being rolled out, a lot of discussions on carbon capture and stuff like that. Uh, but but the reality is, I, I've the reason we haven't gotten behind solar investing is because there's not much difference in installing solar panels on the side of a highway or paving it in concrete. And most people don't want to hear that, but when you when you install a bunch of solar panels, you, you're obviously these solar panels are built out of you know, you use natural resources to construct them. Mm-hmm. And when the lifespan's done, there's no real way to environment, to, to recycle them in an environmentally friendly way. Mm. Also. And, and, and it's not an old enough industry where we've gotten to that point yet. Yeah, that, exactly. Exactly. And, and then, you know, kind of like I just said, you've got metals and all these other materials that come from the natural environment. So you, you, you're still mining you're still kind of processing natural resources to make these solar panels but i think the biggest thing is if if a if a landowner sells or leases the land to a solar company they scrape that land to the point that there's no topsoil left so there's no there's no nature that's going to live on it and then they put these you know they basically put a parking lot of solar panels Mm -hmm. and so it, it obviously creates some power for the sun or from the sun rather. And, and you can store some of that in batteries, but we all know our battery technology really isn't there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's this interesting quandary. Like, I mean, I've had some interesting discussions with people that say, you know, how, how can you say the sun's not renewable? And you're like, but if the sun doesn't come out today, you know, how, how are you going to have solar? Mm. And then, and then by the way, how are you going to continue to store this sol- store this solar in a, in a, in a efficient process? And what country makes most of the solar panels? Yeah. China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So it just gets really interesting. And then I'm yeah. sure it's same with wind power. Um, windmills have killed a lot of birds. I've talked to a number of groups that uh, 
the Audubon, for instance, and they say, well, you know, we do need new energy policy. And, and so my answer would be, but you're supposed to protect birds. So it's kind of interesting, unless you're an energy expert, like, why are you even talking about energy? Mm. Um, but if, if you just look at the headlines and over the past few years, there's been a number of birds that have been killed because these wind farms have been mistakenly put in migratory bird, migratory bird patterns. And I, I mean, we're talking golden eagles, vultures, stuff like that, mm-hmm. that have been just completely decimated from, from these windmills. And then they fall over sometimes. Mm. So you have something that's 700 feet tall, kind of just caves in. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. So what, what, what are you, from a policy point of view, let's talk from that perspective. What's, what, are, what is your, what are your thoughts on the policy implications of all this and what, what uh, differences need to be made there? I think if we want to talk about clean energy, honestly, honestly, we need to look at nuclear, especially for a country like America. Um, other than that, I think it's kind of a moot point. And and we're blessed here in Georgia that that we just got a, a new nuclear power plant that just opened, and uh, you know if any other state in the United States were to begin that process, they're probably looking at least ten years out, assuming that they've billions got, of dollars, assuming that they've got the political willpower to even get something like that passed. Right. Um, and so, but I do agree with you. We think that that is the cheapest and the cleanest form of energy. Yeah, and, and I don't have the metrics in front of me, but I know France produces a tremendous amount of their energy. They do, the and, and they sell to a number of the European yeah. countries. And then I think if you look at Chernobyl, right, from a rewilding perspective, Chernobyl, you know, everyone thought that was just kind of an area that was just going to be done forever. There would be no nature, but you've had, you've had nature explode um, in, Cher- in Chernobyl. It's been really interesting. So, so the whole idea of nuclear waste being radioactive and destroying the world like isn't necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't want it leaking around, but mm-hmm. yeah, um, you know, you can store it and dispose of it, and then in a thousand years, it, it would be fine to a degree. So, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Also, in the U.S., we have hydroelectricity, especially in Georgia. So our lakes operate as batteries, it's like the best batteries on the market. I hadn't thought about that, but that makes sense. Chad Hagen is with us. He is with Hagen Capital. So, um, so the, the, there are tax incentives here that obviously make the make the um, decisions, uh, in your view, uh, uneconomic. Is that the good way to put it? Um, for energy, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I just think that we're not being forthright about how we can roll out a comprehensive clean energy policy um, in the next 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Like America's not going to achieve net zero in 2030. It's just not going to happen. There's no way. 2030 is coming fast. 2030 is not too far away. Yeah. 2050, maybe. Mm-hmm. It just depends. Um, I think one of the big issues that I have is, is that if we're going to stop our emissions – which, which we hear that emissions are really what's heating up the world and, and destroying the earth and destroying civilization, then why is India and China not stopping their emissions? All right. Because you would think if we have to stop, they have to stop. Mm-hmm. That's, that's probably the big sticking point for me. Yeah. Yeah, especially since they have so many people mm-hmm. and so many people in poverty, and the best way to bring some of those people out of poverty is, is to have a cheap energy source. 
Yeah, yeah, and for sure, and capitalism, right? Capitalism is the best way to bring people out of poverty. So it's kind of allowing the free market to dictate is is the way to go, especially my opinion. Um, and, and these countries are not using clean energy. You know, China and India are not worried about the environment like like we are. So you're not going to have a drawdown of emissions coming from the east. Mm-hmm. The drawdown of emissions is going to come from here. And you have to wonder, are we just doing what we did during the Clinton era where we export everything to another country? Um, are we just going to export the pollution to China and just not worry about it? Mm-hmm. it? To me, that's just not being honest, and it doesn't make sense. I mean, I know policy doesn't always make sense, especially in recent years, but still, uh, I think it should strive to make sense, and it should strive to, to follow logic and economics. So with that view, how's that driving some of your investment policy there within uh, within the family office? Well, you know, we're behind some energy policy, uh, most mostly with, with dealing with land and, and natural resources. We're not touching clean energy and stuff like that. I've seen a number of solar funds. They, they had great investments, but we're just we're just not behind that. I'd like to see carbon capture. Uh, but also, I think carbon capture is one of those things. Like, do you want to have BP or Shell Oil handle the carbon capture? Because it'll just tell you everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. it. Not to pick on them, but it's just it's an it's an interesting thing. So it's like, do we want carbon capture in the hands of Greenpeace? Probably not. So, got a lot to figure out on that front. Yeah, that's that seems like a fairly intractable kind of problem, right? Because there's such um um extremes on either side i guess in in some ways right yeah absolutely and i'm I, i'm not going to say that climate change isn't real you just have conflicting research and then all the climate scientists agree that climate change is occurring but they're also climate scientists and they're not going to be funded research wise unless they kind of chime in and jump on that bandwagon mm. so uh it's very interesting very very interesting you yeah. know yeah, Chad Hagen is with us, folks. Uh, Hagen Capital Group uh, in Roswell here and beyond. Um, so what what are the – there's also an interesting interplay between the federal government and the states, right? Because sure. the, the, the states have some economic development kind of uh, mandates that they want to do. I mean, people get reelected because of economic development, and sometimes um, – there's some conflicts there in terms of policies, right? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Talk more about that. I think if we're going to just look at the biggest states in America and what they're doing with energy, I think Texas is doing the best job. Oh, say why? California is probably doing the worst job. I tend to pick on California, but I'm not picking on them in this context. I'm just saying they, they, they're doing the worst job. Texas is doing the best job. Texas, uh, apart from needing to build out their uh, their infrastructure a little bit more and, and some of the issues we've you've seen because of the cold snaps and weather like that, uh, Texas obviously is a big energy state, fossil fuels. You know, it's kind of like uh, it's king over there, but they also have a lot of wind power mm-hmm. and, and they have their own decent or they have their own market. I think it's called ERCOT. Um, and I think the states, you know, could, could look to join forces or kind of st- – start kind of mini markets like that uh it would be worthwhile i mean it's probably going to break out into regional perspectives um but texas is a great example because it's such a big state it's kind of Mm -hmm. a region in itself is it because it's a big state or uh, is it some intentional policy or why why are they doing such a better job 
well, I there think, from your perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think because Texas is such a big state with so many important cities and such an important economic. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're very much pro-energy just because of all their oil. Yeah, without a doubt, without mm-hmm. a doubt. And it's, I mean, just Houston is just the capital of the energy world, without a doubt. But I, I think you have to look at the population and you have to look at the large cities and the amount of companies that are there and the amount of growth that's 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 happening. And, and Texas is embracing all of that. So um, I, that's really, as far as economics, you know, population and, and kind of like the sloshing of money is really what helps. Texas has plenty of that. So let's bring it all back and, 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 and talk local. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you guys seeing right now with the uh, with the local economy, and uh, and maybe some of the expansion plans that we're looking at here in the North Fulton area? Yeah, so this area, um, it's it's we've had a lot of growth. Like when people find out that I live in Roswell, they're like, "Oh my gosh, how long have you lived there? It's a really great place." And of course, I'm from there, so uh, <laughs> I feel a little privileged. But we work on Canton Street, and uh, that's where our offices are. And we were we've been there before Canton Street had a. a, a a restaurant scene. Um, so um, there's a, it, where I am in Roswell, we're having a lot of residential growth. Um, a lot of people are moving to Roswell. It's a great place to live. Obviously in Alpharetta, you're seeing a lot of mixed development and a lot of, uh, I guess you can almost call it like city building. Like Alpharetta has done an amazing job building out their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. I think Sandy Springs has as well. Um, there's a lot of competition here in North Fulton. It mm-hmm. wasn't it wasn't like this ten years ago. I, mm-hmm. I embraced competition. I think it's great. Um, but but you're kind of seeing the, the you know the municipalities at war, for lack of a better example, or at uh, least competing against each other because war, war of competition. You have Milton now following and and trying to replicate the success of Alpharetta. You have Johns Creek going to do something very similar. You have Forsyth along County those lines, and then you have Forsyth. Yeah. That's right. And and Sandy Springs, obviously south of us, but they've they've done an amazing job developing. Um, city springs and everything else like that that's really come along do you think that having those uh let's call it five cities i'll leave forsyth out but you, we can include the forsyth um forsyth county if you wish but having all that um those different jurisdictions as you say bump i will say bumping up against each other and competing in the way they're competing that that's been a healthy thing overall for the growth of north fulton I do. Yeah, I do. It kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of the kind of north of New York City area where you've got Connecticut and, and kind of White Plains and Greenwich. And there's just a lot of kind of affluence to choose from and a lot of great places to live. And mm-hmm. that, that's what I'm seeing down here. I mean, without a doubt, it's always been the, the 400 corridor has, has been the more affluent area. And that's just continuing to, to build out. Um, and, and now going as far as Forsyth, which when I was growing up, Forsyth was where the lake was. Mm, right and and now obviously some people live there don't even know what Roswell is so right. I'm, I'm one of them yeah oh. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's all changed go. so there's it's it's all changed but but for the better yeah I made it down to Canton Street for the very first time a, a few weeks ago after a, a, a firm outing that was a missionary it, trip for you and, from Forsyth huh and it's great it's great yeah, it Canton really Street cool. is great it was really cool I really enjoyed it yeah so yeah, I was on the or I'm on the Canton Street Promenade Task Force, which they, the mayor and council have wanted to shut down or have been exploring shutting down Canton Street to mm-hmm. to traffic and just increasing foot traffic. So that that's been that's been a big 
a, you know, a hot topic. Sure. Sure. Um, well, I think, we, and this is all healthy, right? We all want the same thing. Sure. But, but I think there's a lot of, um, discussion between, um, jurisdictions about, um, that we need to play together, but, but sometimes the healthy competition, uh, creates sparks that benefit both business and individuals. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think the best example in recent years is Alpharetta. Um, Rosal hasn't done as much to keep up in that, in that regard. Leadership in Rosal might not want to do that. I think, Mm. I think that's kind of what we're looking at and that's what we're realizing. Alpharetta has obviously been the opposite. So I think Alpharetta has, uh, has just been a banner example. And, and even if you look, this is a little nerdy, but if you look at the statistical kind of census statistical areas, it used to be Atlanta, Sandy Springs, Roswell on the statistical chart. Now it's Atlanta, Sandy Springs, Alpharetta. So I don't know. I don't know if, if, if this, the, uh, the powers that be in statistics said, well, we've got to name Alpharetta because that's a, that's a legitimate statistic and no one knows what Roswell is, but. Well, you mean in terms of naming the MSA? Is yeah, that what you it, mean? It used to be Atlanta, Sandy Springs, Roswell. Now it's Atlanta, Sandy Springs, Alpharetta. Interesting. And so I, you know, I haven't met anyone who, who makes those decisions yet, but I've been curious because I always thought it was cool that Roswell was mentioned, but now it's Alpharetta. But when you think about it, Alpharetta is known on a national level now. Mm-hmm. Uh, people find out that I'm from Atlanta and they'll ask me, have you been to Alpharetta? I'm like, well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember Alpharetta before there was Avalon. Yeah. And funny enough. So, and I was on vacation in Destin and when we were shopping, there was a huge sign that said, visit Alpharetta. Yeah. Or people were like, yeah. I'm thinking of moving to Atlanta. What do you think about Alpharetta? And you're like, it's a great city. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a, it's just on the map. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and in the old days, Buckhead was the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And they talk about Atlanta, and then where's Buckhead? Right, and uh, and so now Alpharetta's just become a, another part of that conversation. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But John, it's because we've had so many wonderful things up here. Absolutely, um, I'm just yeah. I'm just stunned at the growth that we have seen since our firm came up here 15 years ago. Uh, just just amazing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Speaking of pioneers, Fraser and Dieter coming to uh, North Fulton. Uh, absolutely. Um, that's when everything took off, John. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That, there, there's, there's a plaque somewhere uh, in the city of Alpharetta right. with, yeah, uh, uh, commemorating that date for sure. But, um, um, well, let, let's – what what are the – I mean, you're a family office, so I have to ask you this question. I mean, what are the investment implications of this for people that are interested in Alpharetta, North Fulton, this region, and how to con- – does this growth continue? What are the real estate implications of all this? Talk about what you see. Yeah, I, I don't see why the growth would stop. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't see that in the cards at all. The um, And you have more companies relocating here, <clears throat> relocating to the Sun Belt. So the amount of growth that we're seeing in the 400 corridor um, you know, I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but it's got to be, you know, the top 10 in the nation, top 25 in the nation, without a doubt, past few years. Yeah. And we don't have any geographic barriers right. to limit the growth. And if companies will start coming and locating in, for example, Alpharetta, 
then my people can live north of Alpharetta and Forsyth then wins in, in, in that battle on the residential side. And as that growth continues to grow, and now that we're past the, the COVID protocols, we have people moving again. And so Atlanta and especially North Fulton is, is receiving positive net migration each and every month, which only fuels to that growth. Uh, our real question will be probably more towards affordability mm-hmm. uh, than it will be as to growth because we, we will we will mm. continue to grow I'm quite sure yeah I uh, agree. so I would agree I would agree with Chad on that but mm-hmm. but I think that affordability becomes an issue and, uh, and and maybe that just means that people locate even further up north affordability is is definitely an issue I mean I, I know we passed on a development deal in Alpharetta last year and I, I really couldn't get over the development costs, but, but the builder was like, Oh, we well, just, you know, don't worry about this economics that people are going to buy these places. And I was like, well, I worry about economics, but, <laughs> right. but I hope you, I hope you find someone who does this and good luck. And, and was he right? I, yeah. I mean, but we're talking like two, three, $4 million for townhomes. Mm. Right. So, I mean, yeah. it's just, you can't say Buckhead prices anymore. Cause I don't know if Buckhead has prices like that. Yeah. You know, but we do up here. So, and if you just look at the real estate around Avalon, I mean, it's, it's, it's all exploded. Mm-hmm. And and so the more people who come here, the more businesses that relocate. You're going to have to look at where the office space is, and and that's in that's in Alpharetta. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine Alpharetta just continues to become this metropolis north of Atlanta. Maybe we have mid rises go in at some point. Have you guys looked at or done anything with uh, maybe redevelopment efforts over at North Point Mall? Funny you mentioned that. I spoke to a friend. The other day, who who's involved in that, and and I forgot the I forgot all of the details, but I think he mentioned that in order for that to happen, there has to be affordable housing, and then the community doesn't want that. So it seems like it's still up in the air, or maybe the community wants it, but they're still trying to figure out how that's going to work. North Point Mall obviously is a huge, I don't know how many acres it is, but it's a huge footprint. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we, we as an area need to get that, we need to get that right. I agree. And, and I don't know if it needs to become like a, a new Avalon or like the forum or something like that, you know, just where you have the walkability and the, the kind of live work play. Um, but something like that needs to happen. And that is such a big area that that could solve a lot of the housing issues, perhaps. Um, but it does come down to affordability because if they were to build that right now that you, you would just have you know, very expensive housing most likely. Yeah, you're making a 30 or 40 year decision there. So it's really important, as you say, Roger, to get that right. I know some, you know, there's a lot of restaurants in, in Roswell, especially on Canton Street. So some of the, the restaurant owners tend to, to bring up, hey, we need affordable housing for people who are working here. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a real issue because, I mean, I, I forgot the apartment complex that was built near Canton Street a few years ago or about five years ago, but but it was it's a very expensive apartment complex. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not where a waitress or a bartender is going to live because it's a few thousand dollars a month for a one bedroom or two bedroom. Um, and then we don't have public transportation. Then we have some parking issues. So um, South of Alpharetta, you need some, we need some more infrastructure development without a doubt. Or even a school teacher or a firefighter, right? I right. mean, yeah, I mean, because the, the scale keeps going higher and higher, the more the, the affordability issue grows. And then there's a traffic issue. So, so you don't really want to live that far away. Cause yeah. I know when I'm leaving Roswell to go to the high museum or whichever, it, 
takes me about 15 minutes to get out of Roswell. Mm-hmm. And then I'm on the highway and it's about 20 minutes downtown. Right. If you're lucky. But just, yeah, just getting out of Roswell take, takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so, I, you know, it, it's just a really interesting situation. I know the east side of Roswell is starting to have more development, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, that The whole snobbiness factor has kind of gone away because of the amount of development that we have around us. I, I know growing up it was like, well, I'm not going to go to East Roswell. And now people don't think that way. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's good, obviously. Uh, but I think people don't think that way because they don't even know what you're talking about. They're like, listen, this place is blowing up and we're just looking for a house. So what do you mean East or, rest, east or West Roswell? <laughs> right. You know? yeah. yeah. Well, but West used to have the river, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then and that's where Canton Street is. But um, but if you look at Johns Creek, I mean, that's that's a success story. Mm-hmm. And that's a relatively new development. Mm-hmm. Was it 10 years old? As as a, as a town or city, maybe fifteen. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a baby, relatively speaking. Relatively speaking, a baby. I guess it's the number of newcomers that don't know the difference between they don't know the the East Roswell or the Alpharetta uh, versus Roswell. Yeah, they, they don't just, know any of that, right? And that's so, just going to increase. You, yeah, so many people are coming here. No one's getting caught up in that locality stuff. They're right. just they're just they just know that this is a great place to live. Great place to have a family, great place to live and work. And yeah, and, and, and we're blending together. So, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Milton's another success story demographically, that place is off the charts. And, and from what I hear, there's just more development going in. Yeah, downtown Milton is doing, doing well. Um, so, starting to fill that in, and uh, we'll see how that all plays out. And, uh, and, and to the left of us, obviously, the north, the northwest, Canton. And uh, so it's it's all really growing. The whole kind of between seventy five and eighty five is just really hot stuff. Mm-hmm. Great words here from Chad Hagen, um, Hagen Capital. Um, Chad, this has been great. I mean, we lots lots of uh, fun, interesting, and potentially profitable things to talk about. Any any other parting words of wisdom you want to give us? Um, you know, just glad to be here, right? Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, g- glad we can talk about North Fulton and everything else that's coming about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah terrific. Well, we appreciate everything that you and your company do here in the area and uh, Thanks, look, look forward to a continued and long re- relationship. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, congratulations on some out of the box thinking. We need more of that. So uh, when it comes to energy and some of those other things. So thank you for that. Uh, we, you. we appreciate your, your work. So Terrific. Um, so before we let you go, though, for anybody who would like to know more about you and, and uh, your firm, where can they be in touch? Yeah, so I'm I'm on Twitter at, at Chadwick Hagen, and then um, we've got HagenCapital.com. So that's H-A-G-A-N, mm-hmm. HagenCapital.com. Okay. Terrific. Terrific. Twitter now X. Yeah, I haven't I haven't fully adapted to that. Be like, I'm on X. Um, the, the, the social media platform X, formerly right? known as Twitter, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I get that. Chad Hagen, uh, again, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder that Frazier and Dieter's business beat is brought to you by, guess who, Frazier & Dieter. Frazier & Dieter is one of the fastest-growing accounting and advisory firms in the U.S. because they serve the emerging needs of their clients as they evolve. They serve clients from the global Fortune 1000 
to growing private businesses by accounting for today while advising for the future. Frazier and Dieter invest in relationships to make a difference. For more information, go to FrazierDieter.com. Roger, this has been a fun conversation, don't you think? Uh, always glad to do these, John. Chad, yep. thank you so much for being our guest. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate that. And sure John, thing. we'll see you in uh, September. I look forward to that. For Roger Lesby, Courtney, and Chad, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Frazier and Dieter's Business Beat. <laughs> <laughs>